For newer boutique hotel brands carving out their place in the hospitality sector, technology is inevitably an increasingly important part of the offering. It's a way of setting one new hotel brand apart from the next, whether that's how the hotel functions behind the scenes or in a more visible way when a guest crosses the threshold. But what that technology does, and perhaps more importantly what it doesn't do, is a persistent and potent question in the boutique hotel sector now. For Rami Zaydan, who founded Lifehouse, a boutique hotel brand and hotel management technology company in 2017, the technology he developed is about enhancing the former, a supporting act of sorts to some of the processes that have to happen inside a hotel, and to free up staff to focus on the guests themselves, and to do what a good hotel does best, that is, making the people who stay there feel at home. It's that principle that's informed the design of Lifehouse's own hotels too. There are currently four Lifehouse properties, with more openings coming soon. The brand is aiming to fill a perceived gap in the hospitality offerings in the locations they're set in, while doing so in a way that reflects, in a meaningful and imaginative way, the location itself, be that a Victorian New England lodge in Nantucket, or a Spanish mansion house in Miami's Little Havana neighborhood. You're listening to The Entrepreneurs with me, Thomas Lewis. This week, we speak to Rami Zaydan, founder and CEO of Lifehouse, and he begins this week's programme for us by telling us where the idea for his boutique hospitality company came from. I grew up in, uh, to Lebanese immigrant parents in a pretty homogenous Minnesota. Growing up, I didn't really feel like I belonged. There aren't many Lebanese folks or Middle Eastern folks of any sort in Minnesota. And I was quite introverted. And my mother passed when I was quite young. So I had a tough time fitting in and retroactively kind of realized that I had been really hiding from my my own identity. And what I saw was as I traveled and experienced new places and went to college overseas in London and and, and Johns Hopkins. And I kind of started to see a new universe and my belonging therein. And I also retroactively discovered that those who have traveled as well had similarly found their own belonging as well as kind of everyone else's. In essence, saw that travel was really a social good and a really important part of self-actualization and discovery. I didn't know what to do with all of that, but found it to be important and still kind of had my own trouble finding myself, so to speak. After college, I started in the last recession. The cool thing to do if you didn't really know what you were passionate about was to start in finance. And so I was ambitious. I started in finance. I kind of felt there was an opportunity to prove myself to my father or define my my belonging through a, you know, resume. And ended up learning through the hotel and real estate businesses through the numbers and developed some really good, important business skill sets, but wasn't keen on being a finance person. I don't fit in there either. Um, quite creative and eccentric and tried to find my way into kind of a more creative career. I went to Starwood Capital where I got a chance to work on developing some luxury brands and hotel management there and a few other companies from Seidel to TPG 
and found a few discoveries in, in that experience. And what were those discoveries? One was there were a lot of experienced hoteliers, hotel people, hotel ops people doing very low leverage things that were quite mundane, that Excel could do much better uh, or to software could do far better. And really it kind of started to really understand the, the value of software, which is at its core a tool that can enable people to be more productive, either through automation of repeatable mundane things or through taking really complicated things and making them really reliable and consistent. Hotel operations have a lot of intricacy with pricing and revenue management and, and having the rooms on many different platforms to different audiences, financial accounting and all that good stuff. Again, didn't know quite what to do with it all, but was really interested in, in solving problems. And it, as, a, as a creative and, and a Pisces and what have you, I don't do well doing work or, or fitting into place where I'm not able to do things that I believe are, are correct and proper. So I didn't fit in as an employee working in a hotel company that I didn't agree with how things were, were done. And was kind of risk averse, if I'm honest. Uh, you know, not coming from money, I had difficulties taking a leap, particularly a financial leap. And so in 2014, I had a personal experience. My brother passed away and he was a humanitarian and a doctor and, you know, doing things that were directly valuable to the universe whilst I was working for, you know, financiers. And in his passing, I kind of realized, wow, this world is precious and I needed to find a way to do something meaningful with my life, not just clip a paycheck and study problems passively. So, so that kind of inspired me to say, okay, well, I've got a skill set in hotels and real estate and I've got a passion for the creative side of solving problems and obviously branding and design and operations and saw that there was a social good at the heart of all of this, which was how do we make this social good of travel more accessible to the universe at large. And I think that, you know, having been at kind of cooler brands and cooler hotel companies that focus on the major markets of New York and LA and, and what have you, there are kind of more niche opportunities to, you know, take folks from wherever they come from, whether that be middle America or otherwise, and expose them to uh, truly authentic lifestyle experiences and help them discover a sense of their own belonging in the universe as well as everyone else's. So walk us through, Rami, how that as an idea or an ambition, I suppose, forms into something more tangible. So the genesis of Lifehouse started with solving that problem, making travel, uh, lifestyle travel more accessible and making those experiences more meaningful and substantial. And that's evolved to somewhat of a, a, the same kind of fundamental mission. But at the core of all this is, well, you can't just go make a cool hotel brand and scale it. There's a real estate problem at the center of all this. Somebody else owns the real estate and needs to make money on that real estate that they've bought. And so by not being a real estate 
owner or real estate company, we really have to empathize with what real estate owners want. And fundamentally, they're financially oriented. And so instead of coming at the problem and saying, we're going to make a cool brand and everyone's going to love it and it's going to be such an enriching experience, that doesn't scale very well. And very few brands have been able to scale in that way. And so what we've tried to do is say, okay, how can we make the biggest impact to the world and do so in a way that solves everyone's problems in the ecosystem, real estate owners, travelers, and obviously our own company's goals. And so our angle towards that has been software, software that makes it really easy to operate hotels and optimally profitable for the hotel owners. And doing all that enables the people on property and the, the hoteliers to really focus on delivering a great guest experience and, and ensuring that their guests can have an ultimately meaningful experience that is predicated on human connection. And we'll come to the software part of Lifehouse in a moment, Rami. But for those of us who haven't crossed the threshold of a Lifehouse hotel yet, maybe you could describe for us what that environment is like. So in short, we try to tell authentic stories. And I know we hear the word authentic and authenticity these days and somewhat cringe, but the word still rings true if you look beyond the surface. I think what we've learned is a lot of authentic stories originate from a, a person's perspective. You can look at many of the, the great lifestyle brands out there. There's usually a, an individual behind it, whether that's Andre Balage or, or Ian Schrager or whoever. As the hotel industry has evolved, I think what we've also started to come and learn from is there's a lot of great independent boutique hotels throughout the world that maybe have less prominent profiles behind them. But yet at the core of those hotels, there's still a person perhaps with less recognition. And what makes them so special is the true story that's kind of manifested in the property. You can kind of think of it as a protagonist, if you will, who's kind of said, okay, I want to tell a story through the lens of this real estate, this neighborhood, and my own personal experiences. And everything from the decor to the lampshades, to the smell, to the music, all kind of ring true. And that's really what we think about as an authentic place. And kind of when you have travelers come into that place, you can feel like you truly belong. You don't feel like something's contrived. It's not beautiful design and then a Marriott uniform. It's a beautiful design and a uniform that makes sense in that context. And then that makes you feel a little bit more safe and a little bit more willing to engage and step outside your comfort zone, maybe say hi to someone, in, uh, a stranger in the, in the lobby or uh, what have you. And you feel like you've kind of traveled into the unknown, if at least for a moment, and discovered something new about yourself or about someone else. What we're trying to do is essentially be those storytellers. I think you could generate a similar perspective when you watch maybe a film. And so our approach to doing this has been not necessarily this cookie cutter, oh, just form a hotel and pick the local coffee and the local bakery and put it all together, but rather really tell a true story. 
And so we kind of have a saying internally with our creative process that research is what differentiates the dilettante from the artist. What we mean by that is we have to start and we dive deep into a neighborhood and really try to understand the local cultural context, architectural context of the building and the neighborhood, and then tell a story. So we actually end up developing a protagonist, a character, and try to tell the story through that character's lens and essentially develop the creator of the hotel. And that kind of leads into all of the decisions from interior design to food and beverage that kind of formulate a true story. What makes this all possible is, and I know you don't want to get into the tech now, but if you take away the complicated parts of a hotel operation, we can then hire people connected to that brand and to that story so that the story rings true in the operation itself, not just in the decor which is a really important phenomenon there because at the end of the day, if you have, let's say, a hotel in Little Havana and you hire, I don't know, a bunch of Swedish people, you know, it may not, it may not all connect. So it's trying to tie all of those things together. And so when you come into a lifehouse, our goal is for you to feel like you're part of that story. And, and I think we've been decently successful at it no matter what neighborhood or location we go to. And you mentioned the Little Havana neighborhood in Miami there, the latest of the, the four Lifehouse Hotel properties you have at the moment. Give us a tour of sorts, if you could, of, of that new location to illustrate the point that you were making there just a little while ago in, in a bit more detail. Little Havana is a great example. So Little Havana as a neighborhood is often thought of as a miniature Cuba or a miniature Havana. And it's a very low resolution way of thinking about the neighborhood. The, the background on Little Havana is that, yes, Cuban refugees landed there fleeing the Cuban Castro regime once upon a time but today actually make up less than 20% of the population of the neighborhood. And the other population therein are those from other fleeing regimes throughout Latin America, whereby they saw an opportunity to go to a safe place with Spanish as the primary language and a low cost of living that could make traveling and relocating a family feasible and they could get work without having to learn a new language. Those from Venezuela, Ecuador, Colombia, El Salvador, etc. What ends up happening, and there's a great article in a publication that, that slips my mind right now that speaks to this, is kind of this manifestation of Cuba as a brand and a marketing tool for the neighborhood, but not really the substance of what the neighborhood is all about. And so... I think you could theoretically think of it intuitively and say, oh, Little Havana, you know, Cuban architecture, X, Y, Z, flashy Cuban colors, you know, cafecitos, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we didn't go that route. We started to dive deeper. And so the protagonist that we developed was a, a character who is a high-born Latin expeditionist who had traveled throughout Latin American regions and developed this 
tropical mansion that has a collection of mementos and ideas from his travels. And so the, the hotel is quite small, but it's meant to be this highborn expeditionist tropical mansion. The lobby pays homage to Cuba in only the, the subtlest ways, instead of, you know, the traditional domino sets that you might find in a uh, if you go down Calle Ocho in Little Havana, we've just had a black and white patterned tile through the lobby. So it's it's a very non-literal reference to it. And then we went even further deeper with the art and styling programs. One is we worked with a Cuban photographer who captured the essence of kind of this hipster culture in Cuba. Not a well-known photographer per se, but for example, he captured a, a photo of a woman smoking a cigarette's leg, which has a banana tattoo on it. And it kind of speaks to the younger culture of Cuba versus the architectural Cuba that you typically find. And then finally, in the styling of the hotel itself, we tried to go deeper into that culture and celebrate the culture aspect of Cuba that's not talked about that much, which is Afro-Cubanism. And if you don't know much about it, it's basically an artistic and social movement in the kind of uh, Black-themed Cuban culture. And essentially there was a lot of racism in, in Cuban culture and a lot of creative art and culture and music came out of it. And so we, we kind of adapted some of the, the work therein to kind of celebrate this Afro-Cubanism movement. And that plays into the music uh, choices and, and the like. And then lastly, and not to ramble too much here, as we kind of segue into food and beverage, there's a, a rooftop bar and restaurant called Terras. And Terras obviously originates from the Latin tear of the earth. And the rooftop has this beautiful view of the city. But what we've made throughout the property are these little food gardens and food forests where there is a, in every dish, there is a, a garnish or seasoning or something that comes from the property. We've kind of have this, and the menu celebrates Latin American street food. So we try to tie all of those things together in one cohesive story. And so when you arrive, uh, you can kind of get that sense. I think that that's actually my favorite property, so I'm glad you asked about it because of some of that richness. And to look back at the past few years, Rami, for the hospitality and hotel sectors more broadly, they've been years of disruption in many ways. How did you, as a business, respond and adapt to the disruption that the pandemic brought about? We had hotels in Miami, and we had hotels in Nantucket, and we had hotels in Denver. And we opened a few during that time. I think um, obviously challenging to connect with people when hotel employees are wearing masks and, you know, everything is hyper-oriented around sanitization. I think one of the beauties that we discovered through that experience was how important that human connection is. And when people were cooped up in their homes all day and then traveled to Nantucket, 
you know, this was just a few months into the pandemic, people of all ages, unvaccinated, rip off their masks and just want to socialize and cozy up to people in this really relatively small hotel. So it was actually like a great moment for us to kind of see the world come back to life as we kind of welcome guests back and stop taking such basic interactions for such granite. That being said, I think they were also catalyzed a new way of thinking about hospitality that we are certainly interested in. So for one, you know, if you asked me before the pandemic, would we ever have QR codes on a food and beverage menu or in our restaurants? You know, I would have I would have said absolutely not. But now it's it's been demonstrated to be more efficient. And so we've loved to see the kind of introduction of technology in a in a way that a modern non-tech oriented traveler resonates with. We believe that tech should really be invisible, so to speak. We don't we're not building gadgets and widgets and stuff so people can have a tech forward experience. We want people to have an experience that has nothing to do with tech. We use the tech to kind of power the back office. And so um, there's been some catalyzing of a new way of thinking about travel for consumers, which has been interesting to see. And and we introduced an Apple TV application as well, introduced in-room fitness. I think in-room fitness had had a big revolution in the pandemic. And while it doesn't replace, you know, in classes or going to a gym, there's there's great efficiency with having the ability to have a great workout in your in your space, and I've certainly adapted to that. Some positives have come out of it uh, as well. I think the other thing is running hotels is complicated, and when revenues went from you know a really high number to zero overnight, we got a lot of calls from independent hotel owners saying, "I need help." And so we've been, you know, happy to be able to to help hoteliers around the around the country and globe that needed more operational support and, and help and make a bigger impact with that. And how competitive would you say that the corner of the hotel sector, the boutique hotel space is, Rami? A decade ago or more, there were very few boutique hotels and now they're everywhere and it's the the hottest thing is go start a boutique hotel and for whatever reason, whether it's driven by ego or what have you. I think that brands, you know, there's a proliferation of boutique brands. The competitive dynamic that we didn't want to fight is related to the subjective ego per se of we can do branding better than you and that that's not our value proposition we think we're quite good at it and we have an approach that is egoless if you will and that's kind of where the the tech and the just the white label management comes in so yeah there's Many brands, boutique brands, lifestyle brands with perhaps, you know, bigger budgets that can make objectively bigger, you know, better, nicer, more luxurious hotels. Our approach is being really centric around our mission. And our mission is to to kind of solve this problem with as much impact as possible. And in order to do that, we really have to cater to what 
is best for the real estate because at the end of the day, the real estate owners own the buildings and they are our customers as well. So we've taken a different approach. I think the big brands have become loyalty programs. They care about guests and, and maybe don't care much about the, the real estate owners. And so you obviously always have an, something at odds there. You know, I've heard stories of hotels with 20% occupancy in the pandemic being told by Marriott to hire more people and deliver better guest experiences while the owner saying, I need you to cut costs because we're burning through money. And so really trying to figure out what's best for everybody and deliver a solution there that makes hotels optimally run and still delivers a legitimate guest experience for travelers. We're kind of in a unique niche there where we're really responsive to what's best for the real estate and then work backwards for targeting guests that would resonate with that product. And so, yes, it's competitive. I think with small independent hotels, there hasn't been a lot of focus. So that's where we've been focused is in the smaller independent hotels where perhaps there's there's not a lot of sophisticated competition. But yeah, I mean, if we were going to create the next, let's say, five-star boutique brand, there's a lot of players in that space. We do feel like we've got a good approach to design and branding and storytelling. But yeah, we're, we're here to solve problems for for our ecosystem and taking baby steps to do that. Will we launch a luxury brand in the future? Most likely, but we're interested in solving problems that we're uniquely positioned to solve. And today the opportunity is the niche we're playing in. And before our conversation today draws to a close, it would be great to hear what's coming next for Lifehouse with so many components to the business. I wonder what growth looks like in that context for a company like Lifehouse. Our approach is starting with what do our customers want? And so what ends up happening is real estate owners or hotel owners will come to us and say, hey, I've got a hotel. It's in great condition. It's not, it doesn't need a renovation, but it needs operational help. That's a lot faster to grow. So it's organically growing faster than the, hey, I've got a hotel. It needs a repositioning, rebranding, a million dollars of renovation, turn it into a lifehouse. And so it's just natural that the management side grows faster. And so we really kind of approach it from what do our customers want. And what we've seen is there's kind of those two archetypes. There's the owner who sees a hotel that needs a repositioning. And there's the owner that sees a sees a hotel but needs needs an operator. And so we're we're really kind of trying to build solutions that kind of serve those clients. We've actually also started selling some of our software to hotels. So in short, there's independent hotels that you know, really care about owning that operation, but, you know, aren't skilled in dynamic pricing and, and meta search marketing and, and digital advertising. And so we've built a software platform that allows an owner to be autonomous with the operation of their revenue. Obviously, objectively, the most fun thing for me 
is of course to build cool Lifehouse branded hotels everywhere. But you know, that doesn't solve problems as fast or uh, as wide of a uh, broad of an Im impact as kind of really understanding what do people want and what are what what does everyone in the ecosystem need and and working backwards from from that but yes naturally i have a gravitation towards towards the lifehouse brand it's it's my baby that i created but what's really fun for me as an individual is is figuring out how to to solve complicated problems and building a team that's able to to work together to to solving them together and that's that's the rewarding part of the job for sure My thanks to Rami Zaydan, founder and CEO of Lifehouse, for joining us on this week's edition of The Entrepreneurs. To book a stay or to find out more about the company, head to lifehousehotels.com. And that's all we have time for for today's edition of The Entrepreneurs. The programme was mixed and edited by Jack Dewars in London. My thanks to him, as always. You can listen again to today's show or delve into the archive of inspiring business stories by heading to monocle.com or, of course, to your preferred podcast platform. We'll have a brand new episode of the programme for you at the same time next week. But for now, from me, Thomas Lewis, here in Toronto, it's goodbye and thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurs. <laughs>